City Church podcast. New City is a church in Bath, Maine that exists to make disciples, develop leaders, and plant churches that multiply. This week, Pastor Joel Littlefield is preaching a message from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, and the message is called, The Worries That Trouble You and Seeking the Kingdom. We hope you are blessed by the message today. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we now need you to apply it to our hearts, teach us through through the power of your Holy Spirit, and be uh, ever-present in our thoughts, and as we are wrestling with anxiety and worry, and certainly the enemy will attempt to steal away what you do here today. We know that you are sovereign, and we trust every bit of your character and your perfection and your holiness. And so we lean on that, Lord, as we fight against the flesh and as your word applies to our heart, as you speak to people from different walks of life and many, many believers in this room, but many struggling with faith itself. What does it mean to believe in the God of heaven and his son, Jesus Christ? We pray, Father, that you would speak a word of grace and comfort and stability and truth, Lord, over our lives today, and that you would be glorified. Minister to this body today for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's really good to be back here. And uh, guys, the band is back together. Isn't that cool? They didn't break up permanently. It's good. It's good to see them back on the stage. Guys, we had an awesome kindness day. I just wanted to update that before I get into the teaching. Um, We have three brothers here from Warren Baptist. If you guys spotted them, they were taking pictures of the building. They are not insurance agents. Um, They're not inspecting the building or tearing it down sooner than we expected. (laughs) Um, But they're uh, these three brothers back here. Guys, just raise your hand, you guys. That way afterwards you can, uh, yeah, praise God, praise God. We are... We are so grateful for partnerships here at New City. So Warren Baptist is in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, John Andrade and I got to go down there a couple marches ago for, to a men's conference and developed a relationship. And this is a, it's a beautiful thing. So hopefully you'll meet them, ask them a little bit about what they're doing here. And uh, they were with us serving and a whole team of people at Kindness Day. We got to share the gospel with many, many people, pray for lots of people, hand out tracts and gospel bracelets, speak to kids, make kids sick with snow cones. It was awesome. It was awesome. Um, And so just keep praying for those seeds that were planted and all the conversations that were had. There were many very good pointed conversations of people that are clearly lost. Many Christians that are in churches that they should not be in. Churches that are not teaching the word and people that know it. That their churches are not teaching the word. So pray for our community and keep praying for your friends and your brothers and your, your family members that you, you know they're not walking with Christ. We want to see more people come to follow Jesus Christ, amen, and be in a healthy church, be in a healthy church that is making disciples. So keep that in your prayers as you think about Kindness Day and all of the, the fruit that will come from that. So guys, this is a message today about worry. It's about anxiety. And uh, it's, it's a, one that we all need to hear. It is very deep. It goes right, cuts right to the heart. And my, my hope is that you all will not resist it, but just allow the Lord to speak to your heart today. Wherever he puts his finger and says, here, here, this right here, I want you to trust me with this. Uh, do that today. We live in an anxious world. Our world is full of concern. People in this room, you are all concerned about things. 
the church is not immune to this thing. It's not just the world that worries. And that's why Jesus has to teach this topic to his disciples. Because even his disciples were full of anxiety and worry. I've actually been asking myself this week about the struggles that I have. Am I anxious? I have to ask myself this question because I'm not even always sure when I'm anxious or if it's anxiety that I'm feeling. I think I'm actually in denial. I really do. So pray for me. I just deny it. I'm not anxious. We all have different levels of anxiety. They look different. Anxiousness on my wife looks different than it does on me. It looks different than mine looks different than yours. Whatever it looks like, the truth is, and here's the, the mic drop bombshell, either way, whatever it looks like, Jesus has nothing good to say about it. There's no complimenting anxiety in the human heart. He has nothing good to say about it. He has many good things to say, and we're going to cling to those. But about anxiety itself, it is not fitting in the Christian life. So we need to look at it head on just as it is here in Scripture. The word used for anxious is pretty straightforward. If you're curious, the Greek word means simply troubled with cares. You're troubled with cares. The things that you're caring about, it troubles you. So are you troubled with cares today? Pinpoint those things. Think about them. Be specific. What are you troubled with today? The things that you are caring about, but now it's gotten to a new level. It's in an area where you are troubled because of your care. What are you concerning yourself with that has moved beyond reasonable concern and into obsession, fear, and control? What are those things Think about those in your heart. Pinpoint them. Think about it. Ask the Lord, even as we go through this message, what are those things? I want to say also off the bat, because this is a very serious subject, it's a sensitive matter. I'm not here to condemn anyone for being anxious. If you have anxiety, I'm not here to condemn you for your depression that comes from your anxieties. That's not what this is about. And that's not the heart of Christ either, to condemn those who are full of anxious thoughts and fears and depression. It's not condemnation, but there is a clear word for it. Nobody likes to hear the words, don't worry. Nobody likes that. Hey, don't worry. Stop being anxious. Does that work? Stop being anxious. I've tried that before with other people. It doesn't work. So it's really nice to see that Jesus doesn't just tell us not to worry, but he gives us concrete truths in this text to believe in. And so what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through the text. This is going to feel very much like verse by verse. This is one of these sections that's just so easy to follow through as an outline. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to work our way through the text. Take notes in your Bibles, on your notebooks. Take notes of the anchor points. And I'm going to try to draw those out for us. What are the anchor points that you need to tell yourself, and then you're going to walk in the instruction that the King of Kings gives you today. You're going to take note of those anchor points, and you're going to say, I am going to walk in these truths. I'm going to believe these, thing, these things today. So as we work our way through, we're going to think about these things, and don't lose sight of the fact that there, the very first thing is that there is no king like Jesus Christ. That's the very first thing. There is no king like him. In fact, Jesus does not rule with fear. 
That's the first point. And it comes right up. We can see it in our text. If you look there at chapter, Matthew chapter 6, there in the text that was already read for us, just after talking about the treasures in heaven, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, that will, what you will eat and what you will drink and, what you, and about your body, what you will put on. But the first thing I want you to notice is who is speaking and who has been speaking and who has been teaching. Jesus does not rule with fear. So for just a moment, we can just rejoice in that. Think about how the world seeks to bring its rule over its citizens. What does the world do in order to rule, in order to reign? The world does this through fear. The kings of the earth rule through fear and dread and manipulation and coercion. But the one who's beginning to speak now and has opened his mouth and is saying to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious This man, this king, this God-man, Jesus Christ, is the greatest king. And he does not rule like the rulers of the world. So in our minds, immediately, don't receive this instruction as though you were receiving it from some earthly king. Or some earthly being at all. His name is Jesus. He is God. He is king. King of heaven, creator of all things. So rejoice in that. Remember who has been speaking and teaching this whole time. Why did he come to this world? And he came to establish a kingdom, to build a citizenship for that kingdom. That's you and I. That's believers in Jesus Christ. To build that citizenship for the kingdom through what? The preaching of truth. And so Jesus is preaching truth. He's telling his kingdom citizens, here's the truth, and this is what it means to be my subjects. It doesn't mean to be full of fear. In fact, I don't give fear. I give peace. As we begin to tackle this prevalent issue of anxiety in our hearts, that is the thought that we need to begin with. The king of our kingdom is in control. He gives freedom and he gives ultimate peace. That's who he is. Notice what we see right right away in the text. Therefore, I tell you. That phrase is a key to interpreting this text. Therefore, I tell you connects what he is about to say with all that he has previously said. More specifically, the very last section. In other words, in light of what I've already said to you and have been teaching you, do not be anxious about your life. It's not just a standalone text. It doesn't stand there on its own. It's surrounded by a context. Jesus has been talking, speaking such perfect words of kingdom-mindedness to his disciples. And then he says, do not be anxious. And that's the second anchor point. All that we know about Christ and his kingdom points us away from worry. All that we know about him, what he has been saying, what he has ever said, none of it points us to worry. It all points us away from worry. What came before the therefore? Let's just think about it for a moment. Remember back to the last few weeks of teachings and the things that we've talked about. Ultimately, it boils down to the superiority of Christ over everything. That's what he's been telling the disciples I am king. I've brought a kingdom, and this is what the kingdom mindset is, the Beatitudes, and all these things that we've been talking about. He is superior. He's superior over the law. He's superior over the temptations from the devil. Do you remember the the wilderness scene? And Jesus proved that in his kingship, he is superior over Satan and the temptations that he brings. He's superior over the rewards that the flesh desires. He's greater. 
And all those rewards that we desire when we pray and when we fast, when we worship openly, well, Jesus is greater. His reward is greater than earthly rewards. He's superior. When he is king over our lives, we are different from the world's ways and can conquer the sins that rage our hearts. Remember what he mentioned in the teaching so far? The heart that tends towards hatred, lust, divorce, anger. He is superior over things, these things. His way, by following Christ and submitting to his word, we are following the superior way. We don't have to be like the world and we should no longer be like the world because of our king. He's given us new hearts. He has fulfilled the law's demands. Now our hearts desire to obey the greatest law of all, which is love God above all things. He is superior to all. Therefore, he says this, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Don't miss this. That this is a command. He says to you and I this morning, these are the words of Christ, do not be anxious. So don't try to move around that. We're gonna work through this, what it means, but it is a command. Let's not convince ourselves of the world's wisdom But let's look at the wisdom of God, the wisdom of Jesus Christ. And he says to his disciples, do not be anxious. And you say, well, that's easier said than done. I know, and so does Jesus, which is why he gives us so many points to think about in this effort to not be anxious. These disciples, well, this is gonna make you feel a little bit better because they would have undoubtedly had worry in their minds right at that moment. There's a reason why Jesus is saying to them, don't be anxious. They had recently given up everything to follow him from town to town, preaching this new message of the kingdom. They literally have left their father's fishing boats. They are now on a new journey, walking every day, following their rabbi, and it's a new life for them. You know that this is specifically for his disciples, those that are there right before him. He's talking to them. Don't worry about these things. What are we going to eat and drink with no income? That's what they're thinking. We don't have income. I don't fish anymore. What are we going to eat and drink? What will we wear when these old clothes wear out from following this new rabbi around Galilee and they're going to wear out? How are we going to replace these clothes? So remember, we're reading from a real account of a a moment that actually happened. These men were listening to Jesus, and he's telling them, don't worry about what you eat, drink, or wear, because to them, it was a reality. It is where their hearts were focused. They were worried about these things as they walked around with the king and the creator of all things. Similarly, you and I, can be sure that Jesus looks at us and he sees us. He sees what we're worried about. If it were you or I standing there next to him and we had our own worries, he would have specifically spoken those things too. 
Don't worry about this thing that you're worrying about. For the disciples, it was very much these physical base aspects of life, food and clothing and drink. But for you and I, it might have been different. But even if your worry tends to have nothing to do with food, so you say, well, I'm out of this because I don't worry about food, clothing, or drink at all. So is this for me too? It is absolutely for you. These may not be the specific things that you are worrying, but notice what Jesus says. He still knows you personally, and no matter what the particulars about your cares and what troubles your heart, we all need to hear the challenging question that Jesus asks, and it is this, is not life more than that? That life itself is more than that. That's the question. That's really what he's getting at. Is not life more than those things that you are worrying about? So don't forget that life is more than physical. It's more than tangible. It's more than what you can see. So no matter what your worry or your care is, it fits within that category of the physical plane, the things that we occupy our minds with and the things that we tend to worry about. And the word used here for life, when he says, is life not more than that, is literally speaking of the breath of life. He's telling him, is not the breath of life in your lungs more important? Doesn't it have something far more to do with eternal things and with the God of heaven than it does with these earthly things that we think about? He's calling them to remember the breath of life and where it comes from. Remember that you're breathing, all of you, we are breathing today, praise God that we're breathing today, because the breath of life was breathed into Adam by God. We have the sustaining work of Christ working in our lives right now. It was breathed into Adam, and human life is unique from all other life on earth. We're not just animals. So Jesus, as he's beginning to speak to their worries, he's starting to separate in their minds the physical from the eternal. And to give them anchor points to think about, he's going to use examples that they would be able to see every single day. So look at verse 26. Jesus, acts, he's really asking to examine the natural world and observe how he cares for it. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So he takes them to this observable thing. See, not everybody likes this analogy. Some of you in this room may hate this analogy. And the reason being is because it would seem to imply that Jesus will feed everyone on earth equally. Because Jesus just says, well, look at the birds. They are being fed. Doesn't your heavenly Father feed them? So we look at this and we say, well, that's not actually true. Uh, People do go hungry. We see it. So what's with the analogy? And in fact... Even birds themselves don't all equally thrive. If that's the point that Jesus was making, then there would be no extinct birds. But that's not true either, so that's not the point. So if that's where your mind goes, and you begin to question, try to get around, well, why do I not have everything I need? Then you're missing the point. You're missing the point of what Jesus is actually saying, what he's trying to teach the heart. He's asking us to look at natural, observable life. And when you look out the window, so try this later today. Don't think about the National Geographic birds. Think about the ones in your backyard. Jesus is telling the disciples what they could observe. It's not a whole 
ecosystem study of all the birds of all the worlds and everything that would ever exist. He's saying, look at the birds. Look at them around you. So try that. Look out the window, see a bird. When you see a bird picking up a seed or a worm and you know they did not work for that, they did not have the privilege of storing away in storage facilities all of these things in these massive, massive amounts of provision, and then in that moment you are to remember the vast difference of God's love for you in comparison to that bird. The immense chasm between how he cares for the birds compared to how he cares for you. In that moment that you see that bird pick up a provision for it. So we're looking at the natural observable world. For the environmentalist in the room, if you're here and you're like, well, aren't we supposed to love birds equally? The answer is no. Jesus is saying to us, though, that we're not supposed to devalue animals, so it's okay. We don't hate nature here. Jesus doesn't hate the birds. You notice that, right? He's saying, don't devalue them. Just be sure you rightly value humanity. Rightly value who you are in God's eyes as a created being and how he loves and cares for us compared to these other animals. So how does this help us not to worry? Third anchor point is this. Worry is rooted in belief that God does not care, but the birds prove otherwise. Let that be a reminder for you. Worry is rooted in the belief that God does not care. And I know it's happened in every one of our lives. There's some area where we say he must not care because this, and he doesn't care because of this. But that is a fundamental error in the life of a Christian, to believe God does not care. It's not who he is. He does care. So look at the observable world. Every time you see the bird pick up a seed, you know he loves me far more. It's not an issue of care. He cares for you. The Father's sovereign care for his lesser creature is proof that he cares for those of greater value. If he cares for those of lesser value, then he certainly cares for those of greater value. And he uses a similar method to address their worry about clothing. So that's addressing the food need, and he goes on to the clothing by asking them to consider the lilies of the field. Now this is absolutely incredible. Similar to the simple observation of the birds, that they're not out plowing the fields and reaping harvests. That's what he's getting at. The birds are not plowing and reaping. So also... A simple observation of the flowers of the fields, and we have to admit something. You've never seen an exhausted and frustrated wildflower toiling and laboring for one second. Have you? Have you ever seen an exhausted wildflower working for the beauty that surrounds it? Just answer the question in your mind. It will help you. Have you, and we haven't. We have to admit that. We've never seen a spinning, frustrated, toiling flower worried about its care. And in comparison to that flower, are we not of more value than they? Spurgeon put it this way. Lovely lilies, how you rebuke our foolish nervousness. 
And that is what Jesus is doing. He's using these simple observable things so that we have something to hold on to, that we could preach to our own hearts by looking at that, those two examples even. How could we continue in foolish nervousness when the lilies of the field have never stressed a moment about what they would wear? Now, this is not to say that we are allowed to be careless about clothing. He's not saying don't think about it at all. He's not saying you should be careless or lazy about providing for ourselves. Jesus is not promoting an attitude of unpreparedness. We know that's not true. And he also isn't saying don't own anything or don't seek to own things. That's not the point. We know all through Scripture Jesus expects us to be wise, prepare, have knowledge. We would have possessions But even as our last teaching told us in the treasures that we have, that it has to do with the level of our pursuit of earthly things as opposed to heavenly things. The point of this is not about being lazy. The point of this teaching is that worry and anxiety are simply not fitting for God's children. It's not fitting. It's unfitting and unproductive, actually which he gets to in his next point. Look at verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That is what Christ is saying. It's unproductive. Worry, anxiety, the troubles over our cares is unproductive. There's nothing produced by it. So the fourth anchor point is this. Worry adds nothing to your life. It only takes away. It cannot add to the length of your life. In fact, it is taking away. And you know, you know this. We've all felt this. How worry steals from us. It takes from us. It affects our family. It affects our children. It affects our spouses. It's taking. It's taking. It's not adding anything. And yet we stay right there. And we fail to look at these specific things that Jesus has said. Here's what I'm giving you. I'm not just telling you don't be worried. I'm saying here's why you should not worry. Here is why you can trust me and why I'm greater than your cares And I care for you far more. So look at the birds, look at the grass. It's temporary and yet still it's beautifully arrayed. So much more so that the clothing of the world's greatest kings cannot compare to it. So he brings up Solomon. Even Solomon in all his glory does not compare to how the flowers of the field are arrayed and yet they are here today and gone tomorrow. The grass withers and yet that temporary thing is so beautiful and does not toil. As you think about that, as you think about how the Father cares for you, my prayer, my hope is that you will go to him in your heart and, the, and worries will literally begin to wash away as you trust the Father, as you trust him. Verse 29, he says, Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the ovens, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And then there's those stinging words. O you of little faith. And here's another point that needs to be highlighted in our fight, and I hope it is a fight against worry. You have to fight it. You have to daily fight it with the truth of God. Daily fight it with the knowledge of what you, what you know about your Father in heaven. 
but we have to fight against the worries of our heart. The truth of the matter is this, worry is distrust. Worry is distrust. And I know we have many things we want to say that the world has told us. And so even that alone is like, no, that's not what I've heard. Worry isn't distrust. Worry is just something I live with. That's worldly wisdom. I'm an anxious person. That's worldly wisdom. Identify that. That's not God's wisdom. To settle to say, I'm just an anxious person or worry is just something I have to live with. That's not God's word. It may be something that you're dealing with. It might be a present reality. It's not something to sweep under the rug and act like it's not there. But it's certainly not helpful to listen to the wisdom of the world and the counselors of the world that say, this is just something you're going to have to live with. Not according to Christ. Is there not victory and healing and hope and strength enough to take your worried heart and and give it a, a stronger foundation as you trust in him? Maybe you're a person who can't just trust him in the morning. You have to trust him every minute of that morning. You have to make yourself look to the things that are trustworthy. You have to set your mind on heavenly things. If your mind wanders, then wander your mind back to God's word. Keep doing it. We don't have the excuse as God's people to just live anxious, worried lives about this messed up world that we live in. We have the truth of God's word. Go to God's word. Go to the truth about him. Let it wash over your mind. God will work this in you. Truth is, guys, we are lazy sometimes, aren't we? Lazy. If we were just really honest, we'd say, I'm just anxious. I'm just worried. And if somebody were to ask you, what are you doing about it? What could you say that you've done in obedience to God to fight that worry according to his word? Let's do that. Let's do that. God's word is sufficient for these things. He has wisdom for us. And again, I say none of this to belittle. I I understand that there are deeper depressions that many face and cannot even establish a clear cause or cure. There are some depressions in this world that are so deep and mysterious. Mysterious even to the one who is depressed. That you don't even know where it came from or why. But you don't have to know any of that. You have the very same truth spoken right here to go to every single day. If you are that person and you can't identify the cause, you can still identify the words of your Lord Jesus Christ who spoke to his disciples. He knew them, he saw them, he knew every bit of their worry and he gave them what they needed. We can do the exact same. Amen, church? If that's you in that deep place, go there. The majority of what the world will excuse, I believe we need to be able to look square in the face of our our own existence and be willing to admit the truth. If worry is distrust in the Lord, the one who clothes the flowers and feeds the birds, and we are much more valuable than both of those, isn't there really some shame to that equation? He is far more trustworthy. We are far more valuable than they, yet we still distrust. And that's why Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Don't skirt around that. That's not just a slight problem. That's actually a big problem. Oh, you of little faith. You know what he's saying? You trust too little. That is a, it's a rebuke, a loving rebuke. 
from a loving Savior who understands, but it's still a rebuke. Jesus doesn't want you to stay in your worry. He is saying, oh, you of little faith, you trust too little in light of how big God is. In light of how incredible he is, in light of how valuable you are to him as a created being, much more valuable than the birds and the flowers. If in light of the sovereign God of heaven and earth, the the one who created angelic beings, think about this for a moment, go there in your mind, he created, crafted angelic beings. He created humanity. He's the very source that puts life into our lungs every single day. You still put your focus on the things of earth as though God has ceased being God. You are trusting too little. We would be trusting too little. As if, so much so, it's as if we're not even Christians at all. How could I say that? Well, Jesus used this as another truth to anchor their trust. He reminded them of the difference between his followers and the Gentiles. Did you see that in the text? Oh, you of little faith. Further down, he says, this is what the Gentiles do. So it's to live this way is to not live like a Christian. It's to not live like a child of God. The difference between his followers and the Gentiles of that time, whose gods were earthly, pagan, they promoted a worldview for the senses. Everything that you could feel, everything that looked good, what will I eat, what will I wear, what will I drink, were the primary concerns of the heathen. The primary concerns of the pagan. While as a disciple of Jesus, we have a Father who knows our needs. A living God. So here's what I'd say about that one. Look at the fifth point on the screen. Worry, worrying is the way of the world. And a worrying Christian is the wrong witness. It's the wrong witness. You're living like the world when you live in worry. The worry of the world is not the way of the, of the Christian. We need to be different through the strength that God gives. It may take days, weeks, as you work at this and pray towards this and commit your life to preaching these things to your heart. But through the strength of Christ, these things be, can become a reality to you. But think about the witness for just a moment of a Christian full of worry as the world observes who you worship. How big, how great is our God? How much does he love his people that he would give his son for us? He would die for us. Is he weak? He's not weak. Let's not be little in faith. And that it is something that we need to think about, the effect it has on our witness. So Jesus began talking about anxiety right after telling the disciples that they cannot serve God and possessions. Do you remember that? You cannot serve God and mammon, the God of possessions or money, what money can buy. And then comes the test. This whole thing that we just are reading about anxiety is really the test of the, scre- of the previous teaching. The test has so much to do with where we put our attention as Christians. Is it on this life and this kingdom or is it on the kingdom of God? 
the ultimate solution of all of that we've talked about so far today is found in verse 33. Verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is it, church. The, the kingdom seeking, the putting the kingdom first, this is the focus of the Christian life that is truly at peace and without fear. Just think for a moment of the people in your life that you look up to, that serve Christ regularly, constantly, laying their lives down. They're not perfect. It doesn't mean they're worry-free. But what are they consumed by? I know that the people that I look up to that are serving Christ, though there is still battles daily, you know what? They're productive for the kingdom. They're serving the king. They're laying their lives down daily. They're denying themselves. So even when there's hardship and anxiety and depression, they're fighting it. How are they fighting it? By pursuing the kingdom. By living for the kingdom. That is the answer. These are the ingredients of hope in a world that wants us anxious. You know that? The world wants you and I as Christians to just be full of anxious, anxiousness, anxiety, worry. It's a tactic of the enemy. The devil wants us dependent on everything except Jesus Christ. He wants you dependent on everything. And what does your worry do? Your worry pulls you away from Jesus and makes you dependent on the flesh. It makes you dependent on a counselor, a worldly counselor, some other thing, a hobby, something to just distract you, but you're not going to Jesus. That's exactly what the devil wants. That's where, that's where Satan wants you. So seek first. Notice that it doesn't say seek it perfectly. It doesn't say seek it better than others. It just says seek it first. That's simple enough, right? Put it first in your life. God will do the rest. Make the kingdom your first priority when you wake up. Husbands, make the kingdom your first priority in your home. The kingdom of God, not your kingdom, but God's kingdom in your home. The rule and reign of Christ in your heart and through your family. Wives, the same thing. Let the, the, the kingdom of Christ be your first aim in your pursuits and what fulfills you. Let it be the kingdom of Christ and pursuing him. Singles and teens and every other walk of life, there's a world full of distractions and the enemy wants you to put other things first. Just by having the kingdom second, it's out of priority and you will fail and be weak. Jesus says, Put this first. He doesn't even say put it only. He just says put it first. God will add these other things, the things of this world, the things that our body needs, the things that we need for life. He will give them as he desires and as he designs according to his will. He wants our trust and he certainly deserves it. Make the kingdom of God your focus and put it above other things and your anxious heart will subside as you put those things first. And to seek the kingdom of God means simply this, means that eternal souls, yours and others, will be more important to you than mortal bodies. Eternal souls will be something that you think about more than flesh. The eternal state of your own life and the life of your family member. Eternal things will be more important to you than earthly things. That's a kingdom mindset. 
It means that the glories of heaven will win your affections. The things that you are winning your affections on earth, they should not win your affections like the things that God is, who he is, and what he gives and provides. Those things will get the affections of our heart if we're putting his kingdom first. It means that the things that are most important in God's kingdom will be most important to you. Your marriage, humility, hard work and stewardship, generosity, forgiveness, love, obedience to his word, all of these things that we know God cares about will be first importance to us. And and we will pursue these things not to the neglect of physical care, but above what our physical bodies need. And why can we do this? Why do we have the freedom to do this? Because God already knows what we need. The whole time in the background, as we're pursuing his kingdom and we're pursuing the king, our minds can say and be convinced, he knows what I need. He knows. He is sovereign and he sees. I can pursue his kingdom freely and without limitation. Jesus doesn't just say, stop worrying. I said that to you at the beginning. He gives us the very truth that we need in order to conquer what fills our hearts with trouble. So I hope you've been identifying that. Think about what is it that fills your heart with trouble and have you been going to him? Do these things give you an anchor point to then say, I'm not gonna let these things rob me anymore. These things that have been robbing me of peace. So we need to make our lives about the kingdom. Number six, and finally, make your life about believing the gospel and spreading his reign and worry will subside. Are those your primary pursuits? Believing the gospel in your own life every day and spreading his reign. How do you spread his reign? Church, how do you spread the reign of Christ? By preaching the gospel. By bringing the gospel and the rule of Christ that you have in your heart, bringing it to other people, making it a reality, telling other people you can have Christ rule and reign in your heart by believing in his son, Jesus Christ, and being forgiven of all your sins. And he takes up residence in your heart. He is enthroned in your life. And you don't have to be a subject of the worldly kingdoms, a subject of Satan anymore, but a subject of God the Father who is loving Moth and rust and thieves, we've already found out, are the enemies of man's kingdom. When you really think about this, it's really not much of a kingdom, is it? If moth and rust and thieves can ruin that kingdom. Pretty pathetic. Yet we still tend to occupy our minds in that kingdom. Treasure God above all. Trust him to provide your earthly needs for today. It's a a present moment, and as he instructs us, he will take care of you tomorrow too. And that's how he ends this section. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So it's just a little common sense to end the teaching. It makes sense. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own troubles Focus on your heart pursuing the kingdom and the king above all today. If you're listening to this and perhaps your point of view is that you are not worried. You're just like, I'm not a worried person. 
In fact, you're not worried, and maybe you're in this specific situation where you're not worried and you're also not seeking Christ. Thought it'd be worth mentioning that because that might seem like a good way out of this whole thing. Well, what if I don't have any worries and I'm not pursuing the kingdom? So what's in this message for you? And here's the problem with this. Until Christ is the king of your life, Scripture is clear that Satan is ruling your life right now. Until Christ is king, Satan is king in your life. He is ruling your life. Even when you lack worry, he is doing that on purpose. It's not a good thing to not be worried and not be pursuing the kingdom because you are just showing that you are under the rule of Satan and he has you exactly where he wants you to be. He's never going to make you feel anxious as he's luring you and deceiving you into hell and separating you from God the Father forever. He's never going to make you feel anxious. That's not the goal of the enemy, to make you anxious in your life. He wants you comfortable. He wants you right where you are in that sweet spot of no worry, pursuing the world, and having no care for Jesus Christ. Yet at the end, it is death and hell and destruction and separation from God forever. Know that if that's you, if you're in that place, you're not worried, but you're not pursuing Christ, you are not in a better spot. He's totally fine with you storing up treasure here. Satan is totally fine with making your life all about what money can buy and what feels good to you right now in this life. It's called sin and selfishness, and it blinds the human heart. But when you come to Jesus and you believe the gospel, when you do that, when a person comes to Christ the King and believes what he has done and repents of sin, you step into the fight finally. You're finally in the fight, and then you're going to start to feel worried. It makes sense, does it not? That the worry comes for those who are seeking to follow Jesus and really want to follow him because now you're finally in the fight. And you've got something to live for every day. And you're finally in the mix of this tension between light and dark. You're finally feeling it because you're pursuing the truth. But that's a good place to be. I I promise you, it's the best place to be. Even if you have to fight it daily to trust and pursue Jesus, it's the best place to be. Can anybody attest to that? It is true. It doesn't seem that way from the other side, but it is absolutely true. And it's not easy following Jesus. It's not easy. There's going to be pain and heartache because you'll be living for what matters the most. And those things that matter the most, they take work. And Jesus does not invite us in to follow him in order to be comfortable and have an easier life. He literally says, if you want to follow me, come and die. Die to yourself. Stop pursuing yourself. Believe in me. Trust in me. And here's the best part. In Christ, we are forgiven. In Christ, we live forever. You forget that sometimes, brothers and sisters? All this stuff that the world is pursuing to try to prolong their life and live forever, it's not going to work for them. Simple faith in Jesus Christ and you get eternal life. Live forever. Because death has been defeated at the cross of Jesus. 
In a similar teaching, and I'll close with these words and then we'll pray and share communion together. In Luke, in the parallel passage, Jesus says this. They're just such sweet words and I wanted to leave these over you before we close up the sermon. Jesus says this to his disciples. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So he calls you out of fear. He calls you out of worry. And in that very moment, he reminds you of his fatherly, shepherdly care. And he desires to give you the kingdom, his kingdom, and an inheritance that cannot fade away and that no rust or moth can corrupt, no thief can come in and steal. It's yours through Jesus Christ. you pray with me? Father, we are keenly aware right now in this moment that our hearts are weak and we do tend to worry. We tend to be a people that lets our mind wander into fear and anxiety and distrust. But Father, I pray you'd give us today every truth that our heart needs, that our minds need to believe today so that we can begin to see freedom from anxiety, from worry, from those things that trouble, trouble us. Help us not to receive wisdom from the world. If we have been, we repent of that, Lord. We turn away from trusting in idols, trusting in weak, puny gods, pathetic gods that compared to you are nothing. You are sovereign king of heaven and earth. Thank you. For these reminders today, God, we pray for help that you'd heal our worried and troubled souls, Lord. That we'd come to you, our great God and Savior, our shepherd, our king. We lay them down at your feet, Lord. We're grateful today for your word. And I pray for the one that needs to repent of sin and the apathy and the deception and the blindness, Lord, that has existed from birth. Lord, that some today would say, I I trust you, Lord, above all. I believe what you've done for me. I believe in the Son of God. You are King and you are God and there's nobody like you. And that they would surrender their lives to you, receive the forgiveness of sins, and be set free forever and made a disciple of Jesus Christ. God, would you save souls and make this church desperate for the Great Commission, that we would see it done in our day, God, that we would see kingdom advancement, lives won for the gospel. Help us to be all about the kingdom, Lord. Help the worried hearts in this room be glorified as we surrender these things over to you and look to Jesus, our King. We thank you so much, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the New City Church podcast. For more content from New City Church, check us out on any of the major podcasting platforms. Or if you want to find our gathering times, location, or any other information about New City, check out our website at www.bathnewcity.church. We hope to have you join us next episode.